0: Introduction Part 1 of The Book of Love This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Love by Paolo Mantegazza Introduction Part 1 General Physiology of Love Many years ago, I wrote that to live means nutrition and generation, and the deeper I cast the sounding line into the dark abysses of life, the more i am convinced that this definition faithfully depicts the most striking characteristics of all creatures which from bacteria to man come to life grow and die on the face of our planet if however i wished still further to simplify my idea reducing life to its simplest and most essential form i would say without fear of betraying the truth that to live means to generate every living body is perishable but before dying it has the power of reproducing the form that has made it capable of living and that whirlwind which absorbs and rejects which assimilates new atoms and repels all ones and which so clearly represents the eternal picture of life in all its manifestations is also the most faithful representation of every form of generation nutrition is real genesis And in the great chemical laboratory of living beings, we have at all times before our eyes the reproduction of histological elements of organs and individuals. We lose hair, epithelia, white corpuscles every day. And yet every day we generate hair, epithelia and leukocytes. This is an everyday generation in the body of man. A nail falls off. A new one takes its place. This is the reproduction of an organ. We generate children similar to ourselves. This is the reproduction of an entire organism, the true generation. But in one of our offspring we see re-repeated a mole which is on our nose. This is the reproduction of an organ within an organism. On the other hand, one race generates another race, one species another species. And here we see a broader genesis by which from the reproduction of a cell through another cell we gradually pass to the generating of an organ, of an individual, of a race of a species. The world of living beings is a gigantic tree, and from its trunk shoot forth the branches of classes orders, the species. On the branches leaves grow, which are the individuals, but each one of these small individuals generates within itself many cells, true organisms within greater ones. The world of living beings is but a great laboratory of prolific, incessant generation. Cells generate cells. Organs, organs. Species, species. An intimate brotherhood makes us members of one great organism, the placenta of living beings, and among ourselves we exchange the same matter which each of us in turn contributes to the work of apparent destruction, called nutrition, and to that of reproduction, designated as generation. To feed themselves and to generate, living beings are continually exchanging with each other a part of their own matter, which, passing from one organism to another, seems to acquire new energy and new life. On the one hand, seaweeds live on mushrooms, carnivorous animals devour herbivores, herbivores feed on herbs, and man, the highest branch of the tree of living beings, partakes of all. On the other hand, males and females in continuous succession interchange part of their matter, remoulding their primitive forms. The most elementary form of life is not, however, the cell, since at the lower stage we find the protoplasm, the true premium vivens, which, by scission, generates the individual. And by nourishing itself, nobody can tell what mysterious genesis of atoms it induces within its own most simple organism. The protoplasm cannot live without a continual exchange of matter, so that the life molecules of yesterday are dead today, And those which are alive today will be dead tomorrow. Therefore, nutrition also, in the last analysis, is an intimate and very mysterious generation. Evanescence of forms is one of the most essential characteristics of living beings, and we give the name of death to the falling of every leaf from the tree of life. Man, also, drops some of these leaves every day. Hair, epithelia, cells which often produce a secretive substance and fall with it, before dying, a part of the pre-existing form remains to reanimate the dead form and follows in its turn the parabolical cycle through which the mother form has passed. This is the most general principle and includes all possible kinds of generation, from that of scission to the highest form of sexual genesis. One would say that the life of an individual is only a moment of the great life of the species, of the classes, of the kingdoms of living beings. It is a spark which shoots off intermittently, passing from one organism to another. Powerful and irresistible is the tendency to generate. In a great many cases the individual sacrifices himself consciously, or is unwittingly sacrificed by the laws of nature, provided that before death he transmit life to others. Let the individual perish, if this preserves the species. Such is the eternal cry of nature, which men and invasoria, Oaks and mushrooms alike must obey. If the individual is protected and possesses preservative instincts and defensive organs, the species has a hundred bulwarks, a thousand manners of safeguard, more means of protection than are needed. In fact, living beings generate so profusely that one species alone would pervade the earth if the various circles of expansion, falling in with each other, did not struggle among themselves like the circles cast on the smooth surface of a lake by a handful of sand thrown upon it by a child. Apart from the manner in which life is transmitted, there is an amount of life which passes away. There is a certain amount of fecundity, and this may seem, at first glance, most whimsical, while it is governed by the laws of preservation. To be born and to die, fecundity and mortality, are so closely connected with each other, that we can consider them as different aspects of the same phenomenon, as the action and reaction of life. When reproduction increases beyond measure, the dangers for the individuals generated increase at the same time, and destruction mows down the excessive number of those which are born. Now it is food that is no longer proportionate to the newborn, then parasites and enemies of the over-expanded species, which, increasing in turn, re-establish the equilibrium, the destructive forces and the protective balance mutually, as happens with many other forces, simpler and better known. The Malthusian problem, however, is much more intricate. If all species were equally prolific, and had a life of equal length, the problem would, in fact, be reduced to a question of space and food. But on the contrary, the duration of life and the various degrees of fecundity serve in turn to re-establish the equilibrium by other ways. If the reproduction of mice were as slow as that of man, they would all be destroyed before another generation could be born. And even if they could live fifteen or sixteen years, not one of them, perhaps, would ever attain that age, surviving all dangers. And on the other hand, should oxen multiply in the same proportion as Ymphusoria, the entire species would die of hunger in a week. In order that an organic form be preserved, the individual must preserve itself and generate other individuals. Now these forces must vary inversely. If the individual, through its simple organization, is little fit to resist danger, it must countervail this weakness with reaction generating intensely. If on the contrary high qualities give it a great capacity of self-protection, it should then diminish its fecundity proportionately. If danger is reckoned as a constant quantity, inasmuch as capacity for resistance should be equal in all species and thus consist of two factors faculty to maintain individual life and power to multiply it these factors cannot but vary in opposite directions this most simple and sublime law which herbert spencer read in the great book of nature is one of those that rule with the most inflexible tyranny the elementary phenomena of reproduction as well as the highest and most complex phenomena of human love in the The fecundity by scission is gigantic. Smith reckoned that a single gnat could create a thousand million individuals in one month. A young gonium, capable of scission after twenty-four hours, can produce in a week 268,435,456 individuals equal to itself. In other cases the process of multiplication is not scissiparous, but endogenous, as with the volvox. But the reproduction is always extraordinary. If all the individuals generated should survive. A paramecium would, by decision, produce in the course of a month 268 million individuals. Another microscopic animal can produce 170 billion individuals in four days. The Gordius, the entazon of an insect, lays 8 million eggs in less than a day. An African termite lays 80,000 eggs in 24 hours, An Eschicht reckoned at 64 million the number of eggs in the adult female, of an Ascaris lumbricoides. If, from the minute microscopic creatures exposed to every danger and which consume very little matter, if, from these living atoms of which you could gather as many in your hands as there are men on earth, you pass to the elephant, You have there a giant of flesh that requires thirty years of its life to become fecund. And then, after a long gestation, produces but one offspring. And above the elephant you find a giant of thought, man, who requires the third part of his average life to reproduce himself, and after nine long months generates one child only. And what is worse, he sees half of his offspring mowed down before they are able to bear flower and seed. The methods of transmitting life are manifold, since nature in no other function has been so inexhaustibly rich with forms as in generation. But we, dealing here with the general physiology of love, will reduce all the various generative forms to these few. Separation or scission. The individual deserves into two parts, and each of these, made independent, reproduces the generator. This is the most simple form of genesis, in which the function of reproduction is not distinct from the other functions, but merges into them. Endogenesis Within an individual, many other individuals are formed. The parent opens, and, destroying its own individuality, dissolves in its offspring. The individual by itself alone generates other individuals. The parent generates through special organs and without dissolving in its offspring. The individuals generated and separated from the generator are eggs, seeds, perfect organisms, but in every case these are always elements evolved within the generator through special organs. The generative function is already marked and distinct in a laboratory which detaches and prepares some of the elements of the individual so that they may reproduce it. Monocious sexual generation A step higher. The generative laboratory becomes complicated and divides into two parts, one of which brings forth the egg, the other the fecundating element. Each, for its own account, prepares the element destined for the reproduction of the individual. But if both do not come in contact, the new being is not generated. We have the sexes quite distinct, but enclosed within a single individual. Strange to observe, however, we behold an individual that generates an egg which cannot be fecundated by that individual's seed, or an individual that produces a seed which cannot be of any service to the egg. A duplex embrace of two hermaphrodites, which interlays a quadruple love, and the appearance of winds, insects, or birds as fecundatory paranyms, resolves these problems of a more singular generation. Deirsch's sexual generation Finally, the generating organs, too, separate and fix themselves each upon a single individual, which is sterile in itself, produces but one of the generating elements, and therefore must combine with the other. And by such union they may produce a new creature, the sum of two individualities, the male and the female, the father and the mother. Man loves in twain, but although, like the other superior animals, akin to him, he presents the Dersh's sexual generation, yet in his inmost tissues he also possesses the endogenous genesis and the genesis by scission, and presents in this regard the remains also of the elementary forms of life enclosed within him. In this rapid course through all the forms of generation, we see delineated the same laws by which nature rules the other functions. Gradually new forces appear and new organs are brought forth to represent the subdivision of work. First it is the whole individual that generates, then an organ of the individual, then again two organs in the same individual, and again two organs in separate individuals. In the many forms of Genesis, the unity of the plan is more than ever manifest, and we, the highest of all living creatures, while like amoeba we have in our protoplasm and scattered all through the mass of our body the faculty generate, recognize in man and woman the two distinct laboratories which prepare the seed and the human egg. While the pathology of love, in many cases of lasciviousness, shows the last declining in remains of a promiscuous hermaphroditism, imagination, a forerunner of for science, causes us to divine that in more complex creatures sexes may be more than two, and generation presents a deeper subdivision of work, in the same manner as in the cynical or sceptical distinctions between platonic and sensual loves. And in the most daring polygamies of soul and senses we perceive in the distance other lights which disclose to us the horizon of new and monstrous generative possibilities, some of them reaching the supersensible, and some as base and brutal as the most repelling Atavic regressions. end of introduction part one.